Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. For a lot of people, the heart and soul of America is a lot closer to, you know, Orlando <laughs> than it is to, you know, Washington. Hi, I'm Rocco Castoro, and this is the Vice Podcast. Here today with filmmaker Randy Moore, whose project Escape from Tomorrow has caused a lot of brouhaha uh, about Disney. The film takes place at Disney World. It's a fantasy horror film, at least I think that's what people have tagged it. I don't know if that's what you call it. How would you describe it? I would say it? that's accurate. Yeah. There, I mean, there are horrific elements, and, and it's, it is a fantasy, so, you know, it goes... Uh, through a bunch of different genres, but uh, I would say a uh, fantastical family romp through <laughs> the happiest place on earth. And it was entirely shot covertly at Disney World, Disneyland? Uh, yeah, we, we shot, we started off in Orlando, we shot there for 11 days, and then we went to uh, Anaheim and shot there for two weeks. Mm. And we did a lot of scouting beforehand, which actually, Uh, made it into the picture and, and as well as we went back uh, in, in the spring after their Christmas decorations went down and got uh, additional footage. Mm. And uh, the entire film was shot in monochrome? It was. And, uh, and it really was shot in monochrome too because uh, the cameras we used, the Canon 5D Mark II, um, we didn't have external monitors otherwise we could have you know, shot it in color and then just made the monitor black and white. But uh, due to that limitation, we w wanted to be able to see you know, what it would look like in, in, on the LCD screen in the back of the camera. So, and, and they weren't, I, I don't know if the new ones are, but they didn't have like a raw setting where you, know, you can go back and change stuff afterwards. So it actually bakes the monochrome image into the media. And, and you, know, you can't go back to color after that. So we committed you know, first day to black and white, which was a scary proposition for some of the actors who didn't really think the film would ever see the light of day to begin with. But uh, when they heard it was going to be done in black and white, we're like, I think maybe ready to, to walk. Oh, yeah. And this was before the artists had come out, too, so there hadn't been a black and white film that had, you know, any notoriety for a long time, really. Well, and I think it's, it's fitting because, one, it makes... Disney World, the park, Disneyland, more surreal, taking away the color. And two, it's almost like the film itself, um, I'll try to do a good job of summarizing the storyline, but it is a family yeah. visiting Disney 
world or Disneyland. It's unclear in the film. Sort of a hybrid. I mean, we, we want people to think it's Florida, but, you know, obviously yeah. if you've been to the parks, you can tell which ones are which. But it's very, um, you know, they come, he, he, uh, the father gets a call the first day, is there, and is laid off from his job. Um, mm-hmm. So it already, I don't know if he's like, my, if, if, if your father was like my dad, but the last thing he wanted to do was to go and stand in line in Disney World. He did. <laughs> Most dads I see if, when I have been there since or any theme parks, they're just like, I want to go to Epcot so I can drink. <laughs> so, uh, so you've got those elements there that everyone really can relate to, or at least most people in America. But um, it almost gets inside of his mind. He's keeping the secret that he just got you know, let go. He mm-hmm. keeps seeing these two young French women, underage French women, who it's, you know, you're, it's unclear, at least in the beginning, if he's kind of pervy out on them. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not having a great time with his wife, it seems, at times, and they're dealing with the kids. So you've got all these, you know, undercurrents that you take and then subvert, uh, and then it turns into a conspiracy movie, almost. <laughs> uh, I don't want to give away too much, but where, where did the first idea for that come? I mean, obviously, Disney World and Disney was a major part of it, but how did you think to kind of write this movie on top of what is a family romp, as you called it? Uh, Well, I went there uh, almost religiously with my father as a child. He lived in Orlando, and my mother lived in Chicago, so I would would fly down and visit him every summer, starting from about the age of three. And it became our ritual going going to the park, uh, and we, we spent a lot of time there. And it got to the point where I really as- associated him with that park, um, you know, and that and the park with him too. So when I got and older and stopped eventually going to the park, and and our relationship sort of fell by the wayside. Uh, it wasn't until I went back with my own kids that all of a sudden. Uh, you know, all of these like emotions and complicated feelings I had towards him sort of resurfaced. And, it, you know, those rides can be kind of like time machines because you're, you know, riding the, the same rides you were riding when you were a kid, except, you know, obviously the first, now you have your own kids. But it, I felt like he was sort of haunting me, <laughs> you know, while I was on these rides. And it became a very like surreal experience, you know, go, being back in this place that. You know, for me, it was really, it was like going back to your, I guess, childhood bedroom or so, something mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, it, it was really, really strange and, and, sur- and surreal again. So that, that was uh, the initial kind of spark. But then uh, on that same trip, when I went back with my wife and kids for the first time, uh, I realized that she, for her, it was a completely different experience than it was for me. She wasn't born in the U.S., so she didn't grow up going to the parks, and she really wasn't even, you know, super familiar with the character. She's from the former Soviet Union, so they have their own characters, I guess. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> their statues are a little different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, she there was a, there was a, a moment where we were at this princess fair, and you know. Kids were just screaming and demanding $30 plastic wands from their parents. 
and everyone was, you know, running around trying to, you know, cater to their kids and give them the best day possible. And just, you know, it was hot and humid. It was August in Florida, which is when there's the most people and the lines are. The, it's the worst time to go, but it's when everyone goes for some reason. And uh, and she turned to me. She's a nurse, and she, sometimes she floats floors at the hospital. And she said, uh, "This is worse than working the psych floor at the hospital." And and at first, and I was actually angry at first when she said that because I was like, "What? How can you not be having you know a wonderful time? We paid to come here and have you know a, a great time, and you're not you're not enjoying it." So, I, I, but then I started thinking about it and and looking at it, you know, through her eyes, and I started to realize, like, for most of us who grew up and going to these parks, and it really is like a rite of passage for so many Americans, like you know, the trip to Disney or, or Disneyland. Um, you know, I, I imagine more people probably do it than, you know, go to the nation's capital or whatever. Yeah, for it's, sure. Yeah. So uh, that's why I always say, like, those parks have transcended being just, you know, your average theme park. You know, they mean so much more to a lot of people. Um, you know, you could even, for some people, it's like a religious experience going there. Um, but to get back to what I was saying, like, I realized when you go on those rides, you're sort of in between two worlds if you if you've had that experience as a child you're you're riding them as as an adult of course but you're also remembering you know the it, when it was when you were a child and i think the two play off each other and so she didn't have that nostalgia from her childhood mm -hmm. to draw on when we were you know going you know or when we were waiting in line for an hour uh, you know to get on the Jungle Cruise ride or whatever like that, you know, she, or when we were actually even on the ride, you know, she was just riding it from a totally objective, like this is, you know, odd, why, why are the animals all fake and, you know, it was just strange for her and then I, so I slowly, like, you know, I started to see the crack, you know, the spell wore off of me and I started to see the cracks in the veneer a little bit more and, and, you know, I was looking around and became more of an observer than a tourist. Mm. And then I started going back. It wasn't like right away. I was like, Eureka, I'm going to write my next script here. Um, but I just kept thinking about this and then the time I spent there uh, as a child with my father. And I just almost as an exercise started, uh, you know, writing scenes in, in script form. So that's what I usually write now. And and slowly, you know, they just, it, it came together. It, it wasn't like I, I even imagined I would ever actually make this movie. And I certainly didn't think anyone else would ever make this movie. But I, it was, you know, just this cathartic writing exercise to sort of get it off my chest. Uh, you know, when I was stuck on other projects, I would always return to this. And then I finished it. I put it away for a while. Um, uh, I worked on something else, but it, I kept thinking about this one script, and it wasn't until I was introduced to that camera, the, can, the uh, Canon 5D Mark II, that I started thinking, well, maybe there's a way I can, I can make this. And, and it started small. It started me going into the park, or I thought I would go into the park with a few of my friends and just shoot it, just to sort of get back into you know, the swing of directing, because I hadn't directed anything since film school. Mm. Uh, and I thought it would be really, you know, easy to do. We, you know, had our location, we'd just go in there and, and shoot. Um, you know, and it's a camera that everyone else has, too. It's not especially, you know, there's no special modifications or anything like that. It's small. Um, 
you know, it's easy to handle. It, it can be hard to focus because it has a large sensor, so the depth of field is very shallow. So we, focusing was an issue, and it can get a little shaky. But um, aside from that, it produces these images that are so beautiful and cinematic that I thought this is a way we can make this movie and not make it look like someone's home movie because that was my biggest fear was that it would look like a home video and I can barely watch my own home videos you know with the family that I love going <laughs> to the park let alone watch someone else's home video well and yeah and I think what's interesting about monochrome and it you know at first you almost look at it and you're like wait is this like supposed to be a surveillance camera or something and quickly it becomes apparent that mm -hmm. it's shot with intent and like but at the same time, it's almost like this um, specter is hovering around this family, and especially because things start to kind of, mm -hmm. you know, hallucinations occur. Maybe they aren't hallucinations. You, you're right. not really sure. Um, and it's, it gets back to what you were saying also about kind of childhood. I feel it's like, you know, there's different ways of looking at these things, and the camera in this aspect is, is pretty objective. So. It's 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 getting inside kind of just the minds of the of the subjects of the characters, and then what you find is when you go to Disney World or any theme park, really, if you see kids that are too young to be there to be on the rides, mm -hmm. it freaks them out. They cry, yeah. and a few years later, then they're filled with joy. And I feel like maybe it reverts when you get a little older too, where you see uh, it's it's scary. I mean, you're, why exactly? Why are these animals talking to me? Like, why is you know, you know, why is Mr. Toad? So wild, like those kind of things. <laughs> um, it, it, it's I can see that element, but you've tapped on it, and it's obviously gotten a lot of attention, probably much more than way more than you would yeah, think. But and 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 not, you know, as far as I know, nothing negative necessarily from from Disney or anyone. We haven't heard anything from right? Disney yet. And it's interesting. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm sure someone made the comparison because I got it from somewhere, but. The Streisand effect is that has, that's, is that I, that's, something you were talking about? Or? I wasn't talking about. Yeah. I, I read, you know, people were mentioning that. Yeah. As, and there's a lot of speculation as to, you know, why they've chosen to remain silent on this film. And so, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't really have an opinion. I, I, you know, if they want to not say anything, that's great. I don't want to spend years in, you know, mm -hmm. litigation. That would be. That's the last thing I want to do. And. Well, spe speaking about someone, I mean, the Streisand effect, like, is just so clear. It's the Robert Streisand had a house, I think it was on the coast of Malibu, beautiful coastline somewhere. Uh, there was a, um, I believe, it was the, pho the photographer doing aerial shots to document the coastline to show erosion, uh, and the, her lawyers demanded, Streisand's lawyers demanded that the images be pulled off. That caused a couple photos that, you know. Ten people had looked at mm -hmm. before that gave her location apparently, but no one would have known that. And then it became a big news story because she decided she's like, I want it down, mm -hmm. which now everyone knows for your houses. So someone said to me, if Disney were smart, they'd buy it. But obviously, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> uh, I hope it does for your sake. But, um, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is like you've, and now a malicious way whatsoever is definitely not as. Uh, well, it's a different type of subversion than, than people like um, uh, Paul McCarthy and these people that are really playing with, with Disney's imagery in kind of sordid ways. Um, I guess there's a bit of that there, but I feel like you've kind of nailed like 
the psychology of most fucked up American families in this movie. Like, is, were you aiming for anything like that? I mean, I wanted I, I wanted it to, to actually feel what, to, to portray on screen what it feels like to go there and have just an awful, awful day, you know? <laughs> and I wanted to, you know, to to use you know surrealism and and to to help get you inside the head and not you know not just show it but also actually make the audience you know have like an a, feel like they're inside the characters' heads and seeing what what they're feeling uh, while while they were watching the picture so um, yeah that was that was the intention. What was it like your first day of shooting? I imagine you did some test shoots and you said you did some yeah, scouting. We, we did a lot of scouting. And we walked through uh, the whole movie uh, with the camera department about nine times before we ever brought any cast in. Uh, so we, you know, we, we, just us with the cameras, we were pretty comfortable. Um, it was still, you know, there, it was always we knew it could we could be discovered, but um, it, bringing the cast in changed everything, and that. That was ter terrifying. The first, the first time we went, went into the park with them, and I had a friend who told me to shoot the hardest scenes first. You know, the riskiest scenes, the scenes that were in the most you know populated areas. And so the first uh, shot we did is the scene where the family's walking up towards uh, Spaceship Earth, which is the big geodesic sphere uh, in Epcot, and we it was a. You know, we had all four actors walking towards this. It, logistically, it was tough. We had the four main actors and the family walking up towards the ball, and behind them we had uh, our cameraman sitting on a wheelchair being pushed, following them, you know, a, as they approached it. And we also had another family, this sort of like nemesis family, uh, coming up from the side. So there was a lot of coordination involved. And and then you know they were all mic'd and this is the first time they were really acting inside the park, and you know I always say this was like an experimental movie in the sense that we really didn't know if we could make the movie every day, you know we didn't know if it was going to be our last day of shooting, so this was the moment when I was, you know we were all like can we actually do this now you know we knew we could go and film stuff mm -hmm. but. We didn't know if we could then, you know, work with actors in this environment, or if the actors could even, you know, m maintain their sanity and, and <laughs> deliver, you know, performances. But like as the lead actor likes to say, uh, you know, when he's interviewed, he's like, "I was acting for my life." So I think, you know, in, in in a lot of ways, it really helped their performances because they had to be natural and you know fit in. Mm. And. Uh well, and I mean, you know, it, it seems like almost an insurmountable challenge when you think about, okay, we're gonna go shoot this narrative feature in, in, in these real life parks with people all around, and we have to stay completely off the radar or else we're gonna get ejected. Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, that sounds like a particularly difficult scene, but there's some other scenes where I'm like, yeah, no, I bet no one was bothering. It just looks like a family, and like no one's paying attention to this insane stuff this guy's saying, or like him looking at that girl's butt. But I bet that happens anyway, you know. Uh, yeah, there were actually a lot of Roy's looking at you know the French <laughs> girls when when they were walking around. So it was it was kind of strange to see, you know we would say okay go there and you know all, dads from all over were, were just you know googling them. So. 
you know, we felt we tapped into something that, you know, mm -hmm. happens quite often. But uh, yeah, you know, luckily at the park, cameras are ubiquitous. Everyone has one. You know, we, I think, would have looked out of place if we didn't have a camera with us. So we, did you guys have earpieces or something? Were you communicating? Just we used whispering? our phones. And well, when I communicated with the actors, I would just walk up and subtly, uh, you know, talk to them. And that usually the camera uh, guys would be back here. Uh, they already knew, you know, what the shot was. We had shot lists on our phones too. Every shot in the film was on, on that list and mm -hmm. we got pretty much all our shots. Um, our AD scheduled the, the shoot, you know, wonderfully. He was a big Disney fan too, so he probably could have mapped it out, you know, in his head without even going on the location scouts. But uh, he had us run and we were always chasing the sun. So it wouldn't be like, you know, so we wouldn't be shooting in front of the castle and it wouldn't be blown up in the background behind us. So he had us running back and forth from, I you know, see. one side of the park to the other. And especially in Orlando, those parks are vast. So Huge. we had to get wheelchairs for the kids so, you know, they wouldn't be, you know, exhausted. exhausted at the end of the day. I think most children probably arrive at Disneyland or Magic Kingdom uh, and their reactions are by and large probably going to be the same first few times or the first time they experience it. But uh, as adults who bring their children there, um, you've been so many times, you've seen so many park goers. Mm -hmm. like, is, there, is there a common thread that, that runs underneath? Like, do some people not take their kids to Disney and, and it's just this group of people and we don't, we don't see that? Or is it like just everyday Americans like they want everyone to think? It really is. I mean, I, I think if you, really, if you want to see America, at war, you know, and it's <laughs> a microcosm. <laughs> it, 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 it's there. Um, you know, it's there are a lot of large waistbands. Um, there are a lot of people who've just given up on walking all together. Um, and just taking the scooter. Their legs work, but they've given up on walking. Uh, well, it's it's easier, right? I guess. Um, you, you see, and you see a whole range of emotions there. I mean, you see the entire, you, know, you see people having the greatest day of, of their life and you see people just ready to murder each other. And you think, you know, why did they even come? Because mm -hmm. everyone is miserable, you know. People go there with like a war plan, of like we're gonna, you know, hit this ride and this ride and this ride and we have to, you know, get, get to here so we can see the fireworks at night. And if, if, any, if there's any deviation, you know, you can see, you know, just the whole family unit falling to pieces, and it's it's sad. Um, I mean, people just want to have, I guess, a great time there, and their expectations are so high, you know. And and sometimes, I'm, you know, probably more more than not, they're met. But a lot of times, you know, yeah. it, do, it doesn't end pretty. Well, I guess like you saw the cracks in the park, yeah. kind of through your wife's eyes. It could also reveal the cracks in like a family unit or structure. It does. You know? I, th I mean, it's a hyper reality there, and ev everything is like you know, everyone's ultra sensitive to everything. So, <laughs> you know, the littlest thing will just set off. You know, a mom. Yeah, a mom. And there's something about you know going there that I think is comforting for a lot of people. First of all, obviously, it reminds them of their childhood, and they want to you know basically kind of revert back to. The, the, the womb or the safety they they had as a child, and uh, and uh, it's it's like it's the ultimate nanny state, you know, 
what could go wrong there? It's safe. Why go to Europe, you know, and get, you know, your wallet stolen when you could go to the International Pavilion at Epcot and hit all those cities in, you know, a few hours. Right? and it's super fast. Yeah. But, I mean, and then you've got, I, 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 when I first heard the movie, I didn't know of how much you'd integrate the hotels and the surrounding areas of not just the theme parks. Mm-hmm. Which has always been the weird thing to me is you got like celebration at Disney, right. which is a fake. Like, I think main, it's defunct now. Is it defunct? I, yeah, um, but it, it used to be a real was, neighborhood. I yeah. went there, so it right? that was really interesting. It was, but your movie reminded me like I've been there once. It's like you know, it's like Main Street USA. Yeah. Literally, it's like it's people you know, who wanted to live at Disney World who like could could not get enough and just said I I would I want to live there, and there are people like that. One of the strangest things we saw. When we were shooting uh, we, early one morning, we we were at Epcot, and there was sort of a, a sweet, portly couple that were laying down on on the ground in front of the geodesic sphere, taking a nap, and it just and hold like in a full embrace. Mm-hmm. And people were walking by security; no one was stopping them. And you, and I don't know if they were on their honeymoon or if they were just in love or just so happy to be in Epcot. Maybe, but, uh, maybe they took some ecstasy or something. <laughs> Possibly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you realize, like, this is their fantasy come true. They just wanted to lie down, in, you know, underneath this, this ball in this, in this place because, you know, it, it meant so much to them. And there's another story about this show called, uh, it's, it's a fanta- it's the name of the show is Fantasmic. And I took my family there, and you know Mickey's battling all the Disney villains, and then at one point he, he sort of disappears, and then reappears in his Sorcerer's Apprentice costume at the top of this mountain, and you know it happens you know at the same time with all these explosions and fire and lasers and music crescendos, and uh, when he appeared there was just this audible gasp through the entire audience, mostly adults, that were. It was like a religious experience for them, as if they were witnessing the second coming. And I was like, this character, you know, this mouse, has taken on so much meaning for these people. You know, these are grown adults. I mean, they were, you could see they had, you know, chills running down their spines when, when this happened. And I was like, wow, this place, you know, it, it's, it's like a corporate religion. How many times did you have to visit the park, all told, from... You know, the, f- the first time you were like, we're going to try to shoot this uh-huh. to the final scene that you filmed, on average. I mean, I know you're not going to be able to tell me the exact number. I mean, I st- like initially it was going to be me with some friends of mine, and I was going to shoot it myself. So I, I was, and even when I was writing it, I was, I was going with my daughters, uh, you know, sort of just looking around and trying mm-hmm. to find interesting things. So I would say, I mean, since since I thought about actually making a film there, I probably went there at least 35, Wow, maybe more. And that's just the Magic Kingdom? Times. That's just Orlando? Or is that both combined? That's probably both combined. 35? Yeah. I don't think I could have. So that's a total. You've probably been there like 60, 70 times? Never, uh, well, just, yeah, during the during production. lifetime. Oh, in my lifetime, yeah. I'm probably way more Way than more that. than that? Yeah, because wow. like I said, I mean, my father and I used to we yeah. just go there every day in the summer. Oh, literally yeah. every day. Oh, Not sorry. every day, okay. but yeah, a well, lot. 
Jeez. And you didn't, did you have any close calls? Did you get caught ever and by the security? The only close call we had was at the end of the, our park shooting schedule, which was just fortunate for us that it had been scheduled at the end. Um, the actors w had a scene where it's not in the final cut of the film, but they were, they had to go enter through the turnstiles. And um, if, if we had shot the film sequentially, obviously we would have done this like right, you know, at the top of the, uh, the shooting schedule, but it wasn't, you know, something we thought was would be an easy shot, so we waited until the end of production to, to grab it, and we had them enter and exit and enter and exit uh, about three times, you know, so we could get multiple angles, and after the third time, a personnel, security personnel walked over and asked, you know, why have you just entered and exited the park three times? And the actor said, oh, I think we forgot our sunscreen or something, and, uh, and then he said, well, did you, are you a celebrity? And he said, no, why, why would you ask that? And he's like, because you have paparazzi following you. And, and at that point, I realized they thought our, our camera guys were paparazzi. And initially, when we started filming, I made them shave their beards and dress conservatively. Uh, but I think by this time, it was towards the yeah. end of the shoot, they had sort of you know, gotten really comfortable and reverted back to their normal like LA film you know, <laughs> attire so so they said well no we don't know who those people are and I think they they thought something was off yeah about that so they said well come with us and they pulled them aside and they took them over to where like the firehouse is on Main Street they said wait here for a second we're gonna check something out and right when they said that the kids uh, said they needed to go to the bathroom and so they said, all right, take your kids to the bathroom, but when you're done, come right back here. So they went to the bathroom, they took off their sound equipment, and when they came out again, uh, a parade had come by, <laughs> as you know, happens sure. every 15 minutes in Disneyland, that basically cut them off from the security personnel waiting on, on the other side of the, of the street. And, and uh, basically they, my, the lead actress loves to say they just paraded on out of there with the parade <laughs> and we had our production band waiting at the entrance and we got in and we drove away um, and we did like evasive maneuvers through downtown Anaheim in case we had some like unmarked Disney tail to shake mm -hmm. but uh but that was the last day we went into the park with the cast. I, and if had that, like I said, had that had happened during the beginning of the shoot, I think everyone would have been too freaked out. Yeah. And, yeah the movie wouldn't have uh, happened at all. And how did you cast this? Was it uh, tra traditional in the beginning? Was, yeah, a traditional indie film casting. Mm -hmm. uh, we cast both in LA and in New York. Mm -hmm. And no one was like, no one when you told them and you had selected your final casting, like actually, or did they know like that was going to be shot? No, no one knew when we right. were just casting. As soon as you know, someone became you know, in competition for the role, then we said, look, here's here's what we're going to do, you know, are, are you on board? And 99% you know, of the time, they were, they were yeah. Mm. And um, you came out of Sundance, got a lot of attention when you came out. Did that freak you out in terms of Disney dropping the hammer or didn't know what was going to happen? We didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. We didn't know if we would get you know, a second screening at Sundance. You know, I, mean, I, I was thinking it would 
the projector would be shut down in the middle <laughs> of the first screening, let alone all of our screenings. And Sundance eventually even added a second press and industry screening. So we got all our screenings plus, plus that. So that was amazing. And, um, and then we still didn't really know, you know, what was going to happen for a while. But then we started for the first time uh, betting the film with lawyers. I see. And, and basically, you know, morally I always thought because of the fact that this place, like I said, has transcended being just another theme park and, you know, it means so much to so many people. It's, you know, almost like going there is like going to church for them, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that, and, and it's, you know, so much a part of our culture to not be able to comment on it or critique it or parody it just seemed wrong. I felt, you know, like it, morally, you know, I should be able to, to say this about, you know, this huge empire uh, that, you know, that's so ubiquitous and is, is just everywhere in our culture. You can't escape it. Um, but legally, I didn't, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I didn't crack open law books and start, you know, seeing what, you know, what was I could do and what I couldn't do. And I didn't want to do that either. I didn't want to, like, change the, you know, I wanted to have one pure cut of the film before any uh, legal, you know, people came in and started, you know, chipping Excellent. away at it. Yeah, I didn't want to second guess what, you know, might be acceptable and what might not be acceptable. But, uh, you know... I think, and I also thought, I always felt that the film, you know, should fall under the fair use doctrine as a parody, uh, and I, and we still feel that way, and that's uh, our, our main legal counsel believes that, and basically that's what led us to get uh, E and O insurance and, you know, grab distri distribution. Uh, and did they make you remove anything that was particularly... We didn't have to remove any Disney things. All we had to do was add a, a disclaimer. Mm -hmm. at, at the beginning of the film, yeah. And we we cut the film down from the Sundance version mostly for just editorial reasons. By then, the picture had been locked for, like, almost a year, and it was kind of a scary prospect to open it up. We would have had to redo a lot of sound design, and then we, we actually had a film print uh, of the film that we showed at Sundance, 35-millimeter print. We did a film out in South Korea, which is where we did all our post-production. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and so, you know, we would have had to go back and, you know, re reconform, re do another scan out to film, and it was just a, a big, you know, to do. So it wasn't until after Sundance that our sales agent, you know, said, well, since we're going to have to add a disclaimer and, you know, maybe you might want to go in and, you know, chop it down, make, make it tighter, which is, you know, because obviously at that point I've been watching it for a year, there were yeah. so many things that I would have loved to have changed if it was, you know, really easy to do. But then all of a sudden I had the opportunity and I couldn't, and I was so grateful. Did you think you'd actually get distribution? And like, did you think, how, how did you think you might have to screen it when you, when you were first? Or did you not really care because you made it and that I was thought, enough? Initially I thought, you know, it was a tiny black and white independent movie. Mm -hmm. I thought it might have a life, you know, in a minor festival circuit. And then after that, I, I thought it'd probably be like driving around in a van, you know, projecting it onto walls with a tip jar, asking sure. for donations if anyone, you know, enjoyed the film. I thought that was about as far as it would go. Hmm. And the poster is kind of a Mickey hand, right? Or a Mickey glove? It's not Mickey's. It's not whose hand is it? It's right? just, just a, a hand. hand. It's just Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the poster is a gloved hand. Yes. It looks cartoonish in a way that many, uh, 
cartoons have gloves like that. Right. M mice sometimes wear them too. I think cartoon <laughs> mice. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's provocative. Um, and I think people have written about the poster a lot too. Mm -hmm. And your stance is like, we're not trying to like, kind of take the piss out of Disney or anything. And it doesn't, if you're watching the movie, it's not true. It just happens to take place in Disney World, which is a real place, but it's also not. So it's got all these different different levels of things going on. Like, um, were you? It seems like you were really careful to keep it. I don't know if it was secret, uh, trying to keep it secret from Disney in the pro, in the in the uh, post production phase, and you know, it, the fact that they've said nothing is almost spookier than 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 them thinking you're going after them. <laughs> I don't Perhaps spooked out. Well, I, I knew we didn't want to do uh, our VFX and post-production like in Burbank, right. you know. I thought that would definitely be a big mistake. So when our editor suggested, you know, going to South Korea where, where she's from and has a lot of connections in the film industry, not only did it make like really good financial sense, um, it, it kind of let me sit down, sit back and, you know, take a deep breath because finally, you know, we were getting out of LA. Yeah. Um, I kept making backups of, of all the, of the hard drives we ha that we had all our footage on because I was just worried that, you know, basically the, my house was gonna be raided. They were just gonna take they, everything. Everything yeah. was gonna be taken. So it wasn't until like we had hard drives, you know, in South Korea and, you know, <laughs> at my DP's house and in my, in my closet that I sort of felt a little more relaxed. And um, <laughs> well, that's the thing is that that is another thing that's surprising with the film is, um, in the beginning, you might not think there'd be any sort of visual effects, uh, and increasingly, there's lots of I, I mean CGI, I guess, or yeah, yeah, there's CGI. There's a lot of green screen, which was we always uh, planned on having mm -hmm. green screen. Um, you know, we wanted it to have sort of like this '50s processed shot sure. uh, aesthetic to it. To add to the black and white, but there's just some very uh, modern, I guess we'll say, filmmaking techniques. Stuff you might see, and maybe in a Disney movie, maybe not a cartoon, <laughs> but uh, used in different, in a variety of ways. Um, I, I just that that surprised me for some reason. I knew it was coming, I guess, but uh -huh. it, it takes it even one step further into some obviously some surreal place. Um, we're like when the actors had to kind of fake that mm -hmm. when the effects weren't happening. I mean, were, were any patrons or any fellow guests like being like, what the hell's going on? Well, most yeah. of the big effect shots we did, we shot in, uh, on a soundstage. Okay. And I do think that it, would, it was more difficult for the actors to, to you know, perform uh, on the green screen stages or even Isn't on the right? sets than when they were in the park because they had you know, so much to work off of in the park. So even though, as you know, a filmmaker, it was much easier for me to you know be in that environment and to you know have total control over everything, because uh, the park was just you know it was so chaotic. Um, it's the worst you know possible place to make a movie really, but uh, it, it, I felt out the actors were a lot more uh, believable in the park. In the park. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So, uh, what's your favorite ride at, at Disney World? Or I like the Spaceship Earth, the ride that's in the geodesic sphere. And I've always liked that since I was a kid. Do you remember the first time you went inside the 
inside the ball, inside the dome? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, was, I just remember just having... Just going. Yeah, going. And it's interesting you say that. I mean, did you like Epcot? I did like Epcot a yeah. lot. Yeah. The, the educational park? <laughs> You know, I, I, I was never into, like, the f fairies and the fantasy yeah. land and all that stuff, but I liked that, you know, vision of the future that yeah. Epcot used to be. It's sort of a little shabby now, but... Is it they haven't kept up on? I don't... I, they could probably... could use a little updating. Well, because it, it is the future now. I think, like, we predicted it. Oh, <laughs> um, well, that's interesting, because I think a lot of kids, it's their least favorite park. Uh, I know. That, that's what's... I've heard that. Well, it's just so, it's kind of impersonal, because you don't see, like, their symbols, this giant mono, like, it's a monolithic, it's almost oppressive, this, this giant ball. It, it is oppressive, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well, thank you yeah, so thank much you. For, for coming in today. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, the mouse and all his friends treat you kindly. I think they will. They just see the movie. So. Maybe you can do a gorilla screening inside the park. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm that, but right. Great Thanks. to meet you. Thanks, Rocco. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.